Our gospel reading for today is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. I invite you to stand for the reading of the gospel. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. So I have to admit that this week's text, uh, it puts me in a little bit of an awkward position. You know, about a month ago, I preached on Jesus' words from Mark chapter 9, verse 35. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And after reading this week's text, it seemed awfully familiar. <laughs> you know, in, the, in my sermon on September 26th, I talked about greatness and what Jesus teaches about it. I actually referenced today's text, uh, and we hear it repeated again. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, must be the slave of all. Now, I encourage you, if you haven't heard that message yet, uh, to check it out on our YouTube channel. It's from one month ago, uh, because I'm not going to get into that subject again today. You know, I could be, you know, Christ-like and repeat myself and just give the same sermon again, uh, but I figured I would go a different direction. Um, this sermon is actually going to have a really narrow focus. Um, there are things in the text that I'm just not going to address today. Luckily for all of you, the lectionary is a three-year cycle of scripture readings. So if you want more from this text, all you have to do is come back in three years and hear the next sermon on it. Um, but today, I'm going to focus on one verse, on verse 45. And I want to do that because it is one of, if not the most important verse in the Gospel of Mark. And this isn't just my opinion either, you know, so I could claim that I got to preach the most important sermon in the Gospel of Mark series. No, there's actually... Uh, pretty broad scholarly consensus that this verse in the Gospel of Mark 
uh, is the point at which things finally begin to come into focus. It's almost the focal point of the Gospel of Mark. It reveals to us most clearly and for the first time exactly what Jesus' business is. You know, the, the Gospel of Mark is fairly mysterious, actually. You know, there are a lot of times in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus will do or say something incredible and then ask people not to talk about it. Or he'll teach something to his disciples and the text will be explicit that the disciples didn't understand. You know, mystery is a bit of a theme in this gospel. But ever since Peter recognizes Jesus as the Christ in Mark chapter 8, Jesus begins to deal and to teach a little more plainly with his disciples. He begins to tell them explicitly about his coming arrest, death, and resurrection. But it isn't until today's passage that Jesus reveals to his disciples their significance. It isn't just that Jesus was going to die and rise again, but he reveals to them why his death on the cross is going to matter. It's like when you're looking down the lens of a camera and kind of twisting it into focus, and it goes from fuzzy to a little more clean until you finally get this crystal clear picture. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life is a ransom for many. Jesus' death was going to ransom his people from slavery to sin. And my intent for this message is that we would walk away from today with a better grasp of exactly what this verse means. You know, my, my hope is that you would take two things away from today's message. The first is that you would better understand and maybe even be able to explain what we mean when we say, Jesus died for your sins. And the second is this, that you would believe deeply in your heart that when Jesus says that he came to give his life as a ransom for many, that means you too. So let's get into it. You know, Jesus died for your sins. It's a pretty churchy phrase. <laughs> you know, we hear it as, a, as kind of common shorthand to talk about the, uh, what Jesus has done for us. We use it as a shorthand to sort of help us get a grip on the greater message of the gospel. Jesus says it today like this. I came to give my life as a ransom for many. Um, and you know, you don't even really have to have been a part of a church to be familiar with the phrase, Jesus died for your sins. I actually once heard it from a comedian uh, who I have to admit was not very flattering with his discussion of it. Uh, it went something like this. You know, Jesus died for my sins. What does that even mean? I honestly don't see how the two things are connected. You know, what did a, a guy dying 2,000 years ago have anything to do with my drinking problem? You know, he, he didn't give a very charitable view of the message. 
But if we're being honest, I think, you know, a lot of us who've grown up around the church or grown up in faith, take it for granted. It's part of the water we swim in. But I've got to admit that with a lot of people I've talked to, especially folks outside of the church, but also some in, it's a fair question. The dots don't seem to connect. In what way does the death of Jesus have anything to do with me today? Why does it have any kind of impact on whether or not I'm forgiven? Whether or not I'm saved? Jesus deals with the question today. The Son of Man came not to to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So let's take the first part, and we're going to do that very briefly because I addressed it in a little more depth in that last sermon. The Son of Man did not come to, to be served, but to serve. I want to highlight this. You know, this message from Jesus comes in a greater passage where he is talking to his disciples saying, if you want to be great, then be the servant of all and be the slave of all. That's dramatic language. But the thing is that Jesus, as he always does, is leading by example. He is not a do as I say, not as I do kind of leader. And he doesn't ask us for anything that he has not already given to us and done for us. I just wanted to touch on that as a brief reminder before we get into the thick of it today. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to die for our sins. Let's start connecting the dots. You know, sin is real. It's a departure from the way of life that we were created for. You know, we were created for union with God, for deep and loving relationships with one another, and to care for God's creation, to manage it on his behalf. You know, you can see these laid out in Genesis chapter 2 and 3. And sin is when we abandon the call and the invitation of God to deep relationships and a life of purpose and rather make the purpose of life serve ourselves rather than him and others. But sin isn't just the things we do. It's part of it, but it's not just that. Sin is also this deep pull that exists within us towards things that we know aren't right and things that we know are not God's will for our lives. That's why we find ourselves doing things that we know we don't want to do. That's why we find ourselves doing things that we know do not honor and glorify God. This pull within us towards sin. In the scriptures, it is referred to over and over as slavery to sin. 
because it has power over us and it is a power that in our own capacity, we are powerless to break. We don't have the ability within ourselves to avoid sin and to live fully in line with the will of God. Now, at my last church, we had a great partnership with a ministry called City Team. And what City Team did primarily is they were an addiction recovery ministry. And we had a lot of men who came to St. Timothy's by way of City Team. I even had some of them in uh, some small groups that I've led over the years. And something that is fascinating to me, and I think that the church has something to learn from folks who have gone through the recovery process, is that folks who have that story understand better than most that slavery to sin is real. But it's not just substance abuse. It's the pull to gossip and to speak poorly about people for whom Christ has died. It's pride and dishonesty. It's divisions and building in between ourselves walls that separate that Christ has told us he wants to tear down. Sin has power and it has a cost. It exacts a cost from those who are its victim, but also from those who commit it. It harms, it destroys, it breaks relationships, it steals our peace, and it cuts us off from the abundant life that we were created for. And we're powerless to overcome it. You know, I think that the doctrine of sin is actually the Christian theological conviction that is the easiest to prove to those who don't believe in Christ. Because the evidence is all around us, isn't it? It's pervasive in the world we live in. You don't have to look far to see brokenness, broken homes, poverty, addiction, abuse, war, injustice. Things that happen on a grand scale and things that happen on the individual scale. It's everywhere. You know, I don't know a single person who, if you were to like put it on a scale of one to 10, what is the state of things in this world today? I don't know anybody who would be like definitely a 10. But here's the weird paradox. Also, most people that I seem to talk to have this deep-held conviction that most people are mostly good. There's a disconnect there for me. Does this world that we live in look like the byproduct of mostly people who are mostly good? It tells me one of two things. The first is that sin is very powerful. Because if most people are mostly good, then this little bit of sin that must be making its way into this world is having an outsized effect, isn't it? (laughs) Or maybe it says something else. 
maybe it says that we aren't as mostly good as we think we are. Or maybe they're both true. And when you think about it, it's a, it's a bit heartbreaking. It's a little overwhelming. When what can be done? That is the very reality that Christ speaks to when he talks about giving his life as a ransom. He speaks into the reality of our slavery to sin. You see, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, uh, slavery was pervasive. It was everywhere. It's actually a reasonable estimate to think that about 30% of the population of the Roman Empire were slaves. It's everywhere. A third of people. You know, slavery in Rome, in biblical times, it was quite different than uh, slavery was in the chattel slavery days of American history. And so it's kind of inappropriate to read that back onto Scripture. I'm not saying that slavery was a walk through the park, but it was a different thing. It was not race-based. It was more of an economic institution. Folks were sold into slavery. uh, And along with that came the reality, the social construct, or the social uh, contract, that people who were in slavery could pay a price to be set free. Most people could actually expect to be free by the time they were 30. Like I said, it's not to say that slavery was a walk in the park, but there was always this idea that someone could pay a price to be set free. That price for freedom, to be redeemed, to be made whole, was referred to in Greek as one's lutron. It was a debt that was owed. And in English, it is translated as the word ransom. The price to free someone from slavery was their ransom. And in this ransom, they were made whole, they were considered entirely free, and in no way were they any longer bound to their prior masters. They were free. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, we are slaves to sin. We have been sold into sin at a price that we could never repay. Romans 6, 23 says that the wage of sin is death. That by our own actions, we would never be able to earn enough merit to pay off the debt we owe. That debt, death is the cost, and with it comes eternal separation from God. And yet someone has offered to pay that ransom on your behalf. 
was the only one who could afford it. And it came at a very, very steep price. The cross reminds us of that. Not only that, but it came at the hands of the one who is hurt most by our sin. God himself in Jesus Christ. Through his death, we are forgiven. And because he rose from the grave, there is new life for us as well through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the New Testament refers to this over and over again as living in the freedom of the Spirit. To live into the abundant life that we were created for by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, living in those who have been set free by Christ, who made the sacrifice on our behalf. He gave his life for us, and he calls out to us, and he says, be free. But here's the weird thing. So many Christians, myself included, live as if sin still has power over us. Don't we? It's kind of like this. You ever seen a dog uh, trained using an electric collar before? You know, basically it sets a perimeter around a property and when the dog crosses it wearing the collar, it receives a gentle reminder that you can't go any further than that by way of an electric shock. <laughs> Eventually, the dog would learn where the perimeter was and it would understand that it couldn't go further. After long enough, the collar could be removed and the dog would still stay put. What if that's the kind of power that sin has over the lives of us who have been set free in Christ? Christ has set you free, and the chains are gone. The collar's been taken off. And because Jesus paid the price, Jesus broke the chains, we can live in freedom. And so if there is sin that has power over your life right now, rather than trying to overcome it by your own power, which is what so many of us try to do, ask for the power to overcome from Jesus Christ. Say, Lord, have mercy on me. Because Jesus Christ has not asked us for anything that he has not already given us. So seek the power to overcome sin from the only one who has the true power to break its stranglehold on our lives. Brothers and sisters in Christ, your ransom has been paid. You are free. Jesus, in the, in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 36, puts it like this. If the Son sets you free, then you are free indeed. And the Son has set you free. Because he did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many.
I want to break it down today in five simple steps. When we say that Jesus died for our sins, here's what we're saying. Number one, that sin is real. Number two, that we are slaves to sin. Three, freedom from that slavery has a high cost. It's one we could never pay. The wage of sin is death. Number four, Jesus Christ, God himself, has paid the price on our behalf. And number five, as a result, we are set free from the power and from the eternal consequence of sin and made children of God by his grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Martin Luther put it like this in his explanation to the second article of the Apostles' Creed. Jesus Christ has redeemed me, a lost and condemned person, purchased and won me from all sins, from death and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy, precious blood, with his innocent suffering and death, that I may be his own and live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness just as he is risen from the dead, lives and reigns to all eternity. This is most certainly true. And when we come to his table each week, we are reminded not only that this is most certainly true, but that it is for you. If you're hearing this message today, and you believe that it is true, then this is for you. Your ransom has been paid. Christ paid the price with a body broken and blood shed. The one who was sinless, perfect and innocent, took our sin upon himself so that before God, we could take on his innocence and his righteousness and be his children in whom his spirit dwells. This is the gospel. Jesus died for our sins. Because the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you have been set free and you are the children of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise, we thank you, and we glorify you that even while we were sinners, unworthy and lost, you had love, grace, and mercy for us. You gave yourself for us, God, and in your eyes, it was not too great a price to pay. So, Lord, we pray that in faith, we would cling to the freedom that is ours in Christ Jesus, our Lord, who gave his life for our ransom 
and in whose name we pray. Amen.